Welcome to the show. Um, last one's at the bar. As you know, this is the show where we talk boxing. This week we have a slew of topics, a hodgepodge, if you will, that we're going to discuss. My name is Wilton Henry. My name is Daniel. My name is Lavelle Jackson. Yeah, hey, what's going on, fellas? Uh, this week we're back recording on Thursday. If I can just ask real quick, which which do you prefer? Do you prefer those weeks when it's like a lot of boxing action and we record on Sunday, or do you like when we record on Thursday? I like the Sunday personally because it's kind of like, especially if it's like a good fight the night before, because you kind of want. For me, I'm kind of on a high from from that, and so. I channel that energy into like the dose that I put into it. And then um, generally during the day, my energy is, is higher earlier in the day um, naturally. So I, I kind of like those, those weeks preferably. Um, well, I see, I see the benefits and drawbacks of the, um, both. Like we started on Thursday, you know, my, I'm a, a person of routine. So I plan everything by week on, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, so Thursdays always seem just, cleaner but at the same time you know i didn't have a full day at work i'm a little tired and i, I do understand you know of course the sundays when you know the, the blood has been boiling over from what happened from a lot of spice that happened uh, the day before um so it, i'm more energetic but also i'm i'm more you know it take it i'm, I'm gathering my thoughts together which you know when we, when we record on thursdays i have a little bit more time to get that together so. Yeah, that's cool. For me, I like Sundays from the standpoint that, you know, it, we just seen a lot of good boxing action. And it's like you ready to record because you want to get out that information based on what you saw. But I like Thursdays because I'm already revved up because I've been meeting, you know, for work and stuff like that. So it's just an extension of what I've been doing already. But at the same time, this is more fun. Like, you know what I mean? Even though I like what I love what I, I do at work, but it's more so like this is really, you know, boxing. I, we, we do this all the time. Anytime we text each other, anytime we're talking, that we're going to do this. And it just, it's just a natural flow with it. But also, I prefer Thursdays because as opposed to Sunday, you know, by the time we, we record on Sunday, that night before, I probably was the last one at the bar. So, um <laughs> But anyway, let's go ahead and get to these topics. So the first one, I think that's on you, you Dano. Yes, sir. So we were talking about how we text out the week. So this has been a hot topic for us, both through our, our group text and throughout the last few months of of us doing this. But um, so fresh off of the Kell Brook victory, um, Bob Aram was on the Athletic on the next day last Sunday talking about Terrence Crawford and I don't know the full context of how he got on this subject, but he, he began to talk about Terrence Crawford in the sense of, do we even want to keep him? I guess they asked him about his extension, uh, Crawford's extension. He signed to top rank through October of next year. Um, Bob Aaron went on to say he could build a house in Beverly Hills on the money that he lost on him in the last three fights. And that, and he stated that he needs to do a better job promoting. He's got to promote like Teofimo does. He got to promote like Shakur Stevenson does, like Floyd and like Manny did. Um, and he said he's not going to go bankrupt promoting him. So uh, obviously Crawford took exception to this. 
and Crawford said that he's one of the most loyal people and it caught him off guard. It pissed him off and he said, basically release me now and you don't have to lose money anymore. Promoting is not his job. He's a fighter. He gets paid to fight. He doesn't get paid to promote. He's, he's supposed to be the one being promoted. And so uh, he went on to talk about the Spence fight, but uh, let's just keep it on the subject. Well, we don't have to keep it on the subject, but um, what do you guys thoughts on what Aram said and what Crawford said? Let's just start there. Boy, this is ugly. This is bad. This is ugly. And it's probably going to turn out great for Crawford. Um, I'm always the person that always try to give people the benefit of doubt and says, oh, okay, let's just wait, wait, see what happens. But for Bob Arrow, it's no excuse. It's, it's really no no coming back from, uh, from this. Um, saying that, that, you know, I'm losing money on somebody and I, I having trouble promoting them, it's like you're a salesman. It's your job to sell. It, it reminds me of this scene from uh, Deep Cover um, where Lawrence Fishburne, he was an undercover cop. Uh, and, he you know, he was giving some money from the police department to buy drugs from drug dealers. So he buys the drugs and takes it back to his uh, superior in, you know, in the force. And the superior is like, what do you want me to do with this? And Lawrence Whisper is like, I bought it. And he's like, you're a drug dealer. Go deal, go deal drugs. <laughs> so in this situation, Bob Aram was a promoter. His job is to promote Terrence Crawford. And if you fail at that, that's your fault. It's not Terrence's fault. I mean, boxers aren't uh, boxers aren't required to be these larger than life personalities. Uh, they're required to just get in the ring and fight. If they happen to have particular personalities, that's fine. But if they don't, that's not their job. I mean, everybody's not. Uh, um, Sugar Ray Leonard or Floyd Mayweather in terms of personality. They may be in terms of ability, but in terms of personality, they may not be that, that way. They may be more Tommy Hearns or Marvin Hagler, which I kind of view someone like Crawford as. And for Bob Arrow to say something, you know, despicable as, you know, I, I could buy a, a, a mansion based off of uh, the money I left off on Crawford. It's, it's, it's very disrespectful. And it's almost like a bad marriage where, you know, it's it's like they 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 smile and, and, and you don't necessarily see the things that's that's not happening or things as the bad things that's going on under it, but eventually it just explodes and that's what we're seeing now. We're just seeing a result of probably stuff that's just been pinned up for for so long. So what Buzz going to do, which I I probably thought he was going to do as soon as as, as Aram started talking about this earlier this week. He's going to leave. Uh, is he going to go to PBC? Maybe. I mean, the zone could offer him, a, you know, a good dollar too. You know, we don't we don't know necessarily know yet. But he's pretty much going to be a free agent, and and I predict he's going to be a free agent soon. Um, and comparing Terrence Crawford to Teofimo Lopez is just disrespectful. I mean, Teofimo. Lopez just got one win. He's not doing much. I'm not gonna gonna down Lopez like that because he's just getting started. He's really just a prospect. This guy Crawford is, is uh, you know, a stay loyal. I mean, he didn't have to be loyal. He didn't have to resign. Um, and this how Bob Aaron probably should have handled it is okay. Guys losing money. Let me be quiet. 
let, let, let's take these losses so we can move forward to a win. I mean, to get a big payday, sometimes you have to take losses to get there. It's that's called investment. Uh, record companies do it all the time where, 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 you know, artists don't make the money back. So they, they, they say, okay, we're going to regroup just like with Columbia records deal with Nas. They're like, you didn't make, you didn't, uh, we only sold 500,000 copies of your Maddie. We thought it was going to be this big thing. You know what? Let's regroup and come back. And he came back with it was written, which was a big hit. That's what you do. You come back harder and you make the money back. So for Bob Arrow to, to, to do that to Terrence Coffer, it's, it's, it's an indication that, you know, Bob Arum's heart is not really in promotion anymore. He's what, about 90 years old. And it's time for that, that, that marriage to, to dissolve. You know, um, I would say that, yeah, to, to an extent, I, I think his heart may not be in promoting as heavily as he used to, because he has done great jobs with a lot of fighters. But from what he said, it seems like he's more in the business of, I sign you as a fighter and you go and you promote your own fights with the top ranked name and we both make money off of it. Um, in, in the case of Aram and Crawford, it seems like a thing where, and you guys know how I felt and the listeners know how I felt. I, I felt that he never should have signed the extension. I felt like he, the best thing for his career would have been to sign the PBC. Um, but, you know, he, he signed the extension and, you know, is it went bad because his last three fights have not been profitable, which is more so on on Aram as a promoter than it is on Crawford. Um, I wouldn't even call it a chess move that Aram is doing right now. I would say it's just a checkers move, a simple checkers move. Aram decided in a way that he probably does not – he probably decided that he did not want to promote Terrence Crawford anymore. And so he went public about it, out of, kind of out of nowhere from where I sit. And obviously, if you say that about – someone who's been loyal to you, Crawford probably thinking everything's been fine the whole time. Obviously, he's going to take exception. Obviously, he's going to want out. And like you said, Vel, I could see Aram granting him that so that he can move on to do what's best for him. Um, what I did not like about what Aram said is he compared him to people that do, to an extent, promote for themselves. But if you look on the PBC side of the fence, you have Spence, who is not that big of a personality, but gets good fights. You have Porter, who Spence himself has said can't sell out a family dinner, but Porter has been, has been getting good fights. Thurman promotes, but he's not as good of a promoter as he probably thinks he is. The point of the matter is, Heyman gets these guys good fights because they're in the same stable. Heyman doesn't talk much he doesn't take he, he he does what he has to do to get his fighters the best fights and at, at the maximum earning earning potential um and so if i were crawford logically as a businessman as a fighter that's what i would look that's the kind of promoter i would look for uh i'm very good points and it's nothing much too more that i can say that's why it's difficult when you go last because most of the points that you were going to make were already made but a couple things that i'll add on to what you guys already said is um see but you shouldn't have never signed with bob in the first place see that what bob was attempting to do is he just wanted to be 
the opposite of what was going on over there in PBC around the mid part of like 2014, 2015. You remember that's when PBC, they started signing pretty much everybody. So they had all of those welterweights. So Bob wanted to make sure that, and I don't think Crawford, Crawford wasn't at welterweight at the time, but he had the ability to move up. So he wanted to have somebody who could, you know, compete in that division so he can compete against PBC. So I have this guy, just like he did with Manny. When Floyd was, you know, at the height of his career, he wanted to make sure that he had somebody that was going. It's like Coca-Cola, Pepsi. People are going to side with each, you know, opposing side. Somebody's going to take this side. Other people are going to take that side. So he just wanted to have his hand in that, not necessarily have a fighter who's going to compete against a PBC guy. He just want to have somebody fight his stable of fighters and then you can say that you can always say that they don't want to come over here and fight so he just wanted to have that so he can make money and profit off of that um and so terrence what he should have already saw the writing on the wall maybe sign with him at first you know you were already with him and i think one of you mentioned in the past that pbc wasn't really like high on terrence crawford as they were somebody like Adrian Broner. So he might've been upset initially, but at the end of the day, it's business. So even if somebody said that to you and felt that way about you in the past, you proved your worth and now they may be looking at you differently, but what you're, you should be looking at what's in the best interest for you because everybody that Bob Aram pretty much deals with, they get to that proverbial ceiling where he's not going to do much anymore. He's still just going to do what's in the best interest of him. So he's not going to, put you in a situation where you are going to be able to maximize your full potential. What you're going to be able to do is maximize yourself to a certain level, but you're going to keep fighting those in-house top ranked fighters. Now he may put Terrence Crawford against Spence. He may put Terrence Crawford against Pacquiao, but he's really reluctant on having to fight somebody like a Porter, having to fight somebody like a Ugas um, because he wants that, that, ability to that cash out fight so if he does lose it's going to be you know profitable at the end of the day it's in what's in the best interest of bob aram and top rank I, I you rarely hear a promoter say something like that like because again a promoter like you guys said it's their job is to promote to support their fighter you know quote unquote to promote to assist to aid you know that fighter and encourage them um just in the interest for them to get bigger paydays and for him to say what he said about Terrence Crawford, he's really sabotaging him now. So if he does leave top rank, he goes over not, I don't even know, even if he goes to PBC, for him saying that he lost so much money on him, how can you sit down there with the Spence and claim that you want more than Spence if he's out, your promoter is saying that you he's losing money on you, you know? So it's bad business, but Bud got a, um, blame himself also and like i said the last thing i do want to say like i say just keep in mind all of those guys that bob aram it comes to ceiling it comes to a point where they eventually leave like i say manny pacquiao Cotto, mikey garcia floyd mayweather oscar de la hoya they, they all reached that point where they had to separate themselves and bud should have seen that before re-signing with them and i think he, he's under contract until next october Hopefully he'll get a buyout or another promoter will buy him out so he can get out of that bad contract. Can I add something else to that? Um, yes, sir. Everyone knows how I feel about 
salesmen and people that sell stuff. You know, I don't trust salesmen. Their job is to lie to you. What Bob should have did was lie. Lie to me. Lie to me and say Terrence Crawford is the best thing since sliced bread and we love him and all that. Sell to me. <laughs> That's- I'm excited about it personally. Um, you know, we've talked about the records before on here, but Canelo's 53 and 1. Smith is 27 and 0, 19 knockouts. Campaign at 168 his entire career. Uh, he's one fourth of the Smith brothers who of who box. And Canelo's already beat Liam Smith, his brother, at 154. Um, ESPN and the ring have him ranked number one. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember, but in the fights we want to see episode that we did um, a few months back, this is one of the fights that I wanted to see if he was going to fight at 168. And this is his first, in my opinion, his first legit fight at super middleweight. Uh, I don't really count the Rocky Fielding fight. And so... Um, I, again, I'm excited about it. Um, I do give Canelo the edge in this fight. Um, One thing that I've noted is that uh, he's one of the few elite fighters that has stepped up in competition and is still getting knockouts from stepping up in competition. And he hits like a light heavyweight. Um, Clearly, you know, he knocked Kovalev out, and even though Kovalev is over the hill, um, he still has that power that's, that's, that's able to do that. And so um, I personally see him winning by a late stoppage or decision against Oh, Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty uh, pretty good prediction. And then other thing, too, is that they're both 30 years old. The biggest advantage Smith is going to have in this fight is the fact that he's 6'3 and Canelo's 5'9. So that's going to look really um, interesting once they uh, enter the ring. Now, in previous episodes, I think I said that Smith, I w- wanted to see him against Benavides. And I, I think that would be a pretty good fight um, because I think when I looked at the highlights of Smith, it was against Groves. But I revisited some of his fights. I, I looked at the Groves fight. I looked at the end down fight. Um, and then I looked at some other fights that he had. The other fights that he fighters that he fought, they are really low caliber um, type opponents, but I do tell you this: um, Callum Smith can really beat up some bums. Like he's he's one of the top powerful power fighters when it comes to knocking out a bum. Uh, he also has a victory over Rocky Fielding. And no, you know, no offense to any bums, you know what I mean. But um, yeah, in this fight right here, I, I think Canelo, his goal, his ultimate goal. I thought it was like to be the best fighter, you know, in the world. But I think his ultimate goal is trying to beat up the whole Smith family. So I think that this is going to be right up his alley. He'll probably KO Smith in around the 10th, 11th round. Um, This fight is interesting. I think the most interesting part about this fight, the most exciting thing about this part, because it's not really that, I mean, totally exciting as far as when you match him up as far as status. Is that the size advantage, you know, because Callum Smith is about 6'2, six, 6'3. Six, Canelo lists his 5'9, but he's probably closer to 5'7 Because I remember him being either the same height or a tad shorter than Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. So um, but but of course Canelo was a you know a stocky guy. So he, you know, he, it's not really not a weight problem, it's more a you know length problem. But Canelo has showed he can adapt to that. Uh, to be honest, I think he made a mistake by passing on Plant 
at the time and the way he did. And I say that because even though Plant presents a stylistic nightmare and, is, and I think is uh, tougher to beat than Callum Smith, uh, Plant has always said that that he, if he was offered the Canelo fight, he needs more time to train. And when he's presented with that fight, he probably right now he probably would have been been he probably would have taken it, knowing that he needs more time to train. Number one and number two, I think he. Uh, I, I get the sense that he may not be ready for a Canelo fight right now, you know. And so, it's almost like uh, Canelo been getting Plant at the right time and getting that scout before Plant gets better, because because. Uh, in truth, I don't see Callum Smith getting better. I see Caleb Plant really, really improving, and um, and passing on uh, Caleb Plant right now is only going to make Canelo's job harder if he wants to be on top at 168. So Canelo is kind of you know creating a, a harder spot for him. But how do I see this fight going? I see Canelo, uh, you know, wearing Smith down, and of course, eventually. Eventually stopping him. I think Canelo is way too crafty. He's a vet. He's he's like a young vet. He's like in his physical prime. He's one of the few that's in his physical prime and also probably in his mental boxing IQ prime. So it, it, this is this is probably the, the the best Canelo we're gonna see. And I think uh, Callum Smith is gonna feel it. And to uh, switch gears, we have a, another fight that's gonna come up. Um, this fight. It's an interesting one. It's been, you know, some back and forth chatter. It, uh, these guys been, you know, chattering at each other and stuff like that. Uh, but it'll be a good fight. Uh, I think it's going to be at super middleweight or either middleweight. Um, we have Daniel Jacobs versus Gabriel Rosado. Um, what do you guys thought on on that fight? Um, yeah, this is a grudge match right here. They, these guys really don't like each other. Um, but I think this fight probably, if it was going to happen, it should have happened a while ago because, um, or if it was going to happen now, this should, should not be a main event, not at this stage of, especially Rosado's career, because he's coming off of a couple losses. He's two, three, and one in his last six fights with losses to Willie DeWarren Monroe, uh, Mark, Martin Murray, and Selecki. He's 25, 12, 1 with 14 KOs. And you know, it's with Rosado, his thing is he cuts and he gets busted up a lot. And sometimes his fights get stopped because of those cuts and all the scar tissue that he has over um, based on the fact that he had all of those wars in his career. Jacobs is 36, 3 with 30 uh, KOs. And then he his last fight was against Cesar Chavez Jr., um, and that was another fight on the zone. I don't know what the zone. It appears to me that they're gonna be out of business pretty soon, putting on these type of fights as their main event. In this fight, obviously, you will have to lean toward towards Jacobs. I wouldn't say that he would stop Rosado. I don't see that happening because Rosado is a tough, tough guy, tough hombre. But I do see this either being a lopsided decision or I see Rosado getting cut in a fight being stopped that way. But at the end of the day, it's going to be the miracle man by victory. Uh, for this fight, um, I see uh, Jacobs 
beating Rosado up and stopping him. I think Rosado, uh, as tough as he is, he's been in some wars, and I think uh, his body is. It, it, I'm not sure if it's gonna keep holding holding up. He's been in some really really brutal fights, uh, especially that one with uh, uh, Gennady Golovkin um, and Daniel Jacobs. Uh, props to him because he, he he's been he's improved since his loss. His uh, his first loss where he was. He was stopped. Um, he would. He would. He got a lot of criticism from uh, from that loss. People were calling him chinny and you know overrated. Uh, then he, you know, this guy that survived cancer and 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 he really built himself back up and it became a really really tough guy, a tough guy to beat. And he he has a lot of poise. I mean, he, he he's someone I've seen grow some poise. And it's like, I mean, uh, because he's in a in a in a uh, division and and a place where he's probably not going to rule it. Uh, I think that takes away from how good he actually is. And I, you know, and maybe in the future, hopefully we see some good fights because uh, Jacob is, is getting up there in age. He got, he has a lot of fights and hopefully he can retire on a, uh, a good note and a good, and some good victories uh, in and out of his career. Yeah. Um, I don't have too much more to add than what you guys have said already. Um, Gabe Rosado is a son of a journeyman. Uh, Jacobs has Jacobs again, thirty six and three. Um, outside of that, that first loss, his his loss has been pretty much the quality opposition. Um, Triple G and Canelo. Triple G loss was was pretty disputed, um, you know, but yeah, I mean. I got to go Jacobs this one. Um, I would not be surprised at a stoppage, but I, I would say the safer bet would probably be a bloody decision. I'll just keep it there. Um, so on December 12th, uh, Shakur Stevenson uh, was has been signed to fight Toka Clary. And I believe that's going to be at, at uh, Junior Lightweight, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on that one? Uh, I don't see anything in Clary, and I want—it's funny because I want to say Mike Larry like bad boys, but I, I've I've seen clips of Clary. I don't see anything in him that's gonna trouble Shakur Stevenson uh, that much. And it's not to say that Clary is is that bad or horrible or he's a bum or anything like that, but I think he's just not on that level. I mean, Shakur Stevenson is, is a, is a it's going to uh, be a special fighter. And Clary is like pretty much average. Um, and again, it's not to, you know, harp on him, but I think it's, it's not a fight to get exciting about, excited about. And um, I, it's, it's interesting because Shakur Stevenson would get a lot of, uh, he used to get some flack too about his lack of power, but I've seen him crack before. And I wouldn't be surprised if you caught Clary, you know, and, and, and clocked him cold. You know, because I Clary can't, he doesn't, he, he can't get cracked. He can't get clipped. So um, it's either going to be Stevenson by domination or uh, KO. Yeah. Um, I don't like to minimize fighters' accomplishments um, or at least come off like I'm minimizing fighters' accomplishments because, you know, it takes a lot to, to get into that ring and to get back into that ring over and over again. That said, Clary is 28-2 and two with 19 knockouts. He doesn't have uh, 
any quality wins towards in, in terms of the top of the division. Uh, Shakur won his first uh, belt. In this case, it was a vacant WBO belt at age uh, 22 last year. And I look at this more of a stay busy fight for him than anything. Um, I, I'll just say I, I, I have Stevenson winning this probably by knockout. I'll just say that I hope he's promoting this fight the way that Bob Arum say that he's promotes fights because uh, good luck to him in that regard. Yeah, with this one right here, I had an opportunity to check out um, Toka Khan Cleary fight a few times. And, and I'm a little bit more impressed with him than you guys are, although he's faced pretty limited opposition. Uh, he's a six slick softball. Um, he has some skills. I think that this is going to be not out the gate. I think uh, let me talk a little bit about Shakur. Shakur, what I'm impressed with about him at 14-0 with eight KOs, he doesn't have that much pop um, in his punches, but he's another fighter that I'm seeing that as he's getting bigger and stronger. I don't know if that's going to translate into more power, but it seems like he's getting his grown man on in terms of his physique, the more I see him. Um, but the beautiful thing about Shakur is that he doesn't get hit and he doesn't miss much. So he's pretty accurate and he's, he's real elusive. He's just, he's a seasoned guy at his age. Um, super, super, super ring IQ. You know, to me, when I see him, sometimes he looks like a combination of, and it's a weird thing. You know, I'm not hyped hyping them up too soon, but I'm saying I see little bits of pieces of a little bit of Floyd and I see a little bit of Spence out of that Southpaw stand. So that's a, that's a, um, that's a, that's a real good combination of fighters to have, you know, um, that you can pull from, but in this fight, I think it's going to be a chess match early. I just think that um, my man from the brick city just got, he's, he's the good. So he's going to figure them out. And then he'll pull away, you know, towards the end of the fight. Um, Toka Clary, the biggest name on his resume is a guy named Kid Gallahan. And that's one of the fights that I watched. I watched the first like seven, eight rounds and he was giving him all he can handle. But he just wasn't shooting enough shots like he he was like reluctant on, on shooting certain punches, but he was real elusive and um, Galahad couldn't get really get to him. So, and he's a really good fighter. So, like I said, I think that with this fight, it's, it's going to be a chess match early. And I figure that Shakur is going to figure him out. Another fight that we have coming up, I want to say it's either this weekend or next weekend. It's going to be my man, Anthony Yardy, the beast against Lyndon Arthur. Um, who do you guys have in that one? You know, Yardy is 20 and 1, uh, 19 knockouts. His only loss was against Sergey Kovalev. Kovalev dug, drug him into deep waters, and he was knocked out in the 11th round. Arthur is 17 and 0, 12 knockouts. This is his first real step up in competition. Um, this is going to be kind of a battle for the uh, Commonwealth. They're both based in the UK. Uh, Yardi is ranked third in the UK. Arthur's ranked seventh in the UK. Um, this is a tough one to 
call for me, but I do think that Yardy's experience is going to win out here. And so I will have to give him the edge. I don't have much more to say than that otherwise. Yeah, this is going to be a really good um, test right here for Yardy. You know, this is like his third fight since that Kovalev KO. And they were bringing him on. They bring him on really, you know, incremental and, and slowly, you know, to bring him back up to world-class, the world-class stage. Because um, the first fight that he had after the Kovalev fight, <laughs> people were complaining because the guy he was fighting was like 4 and 48. Um, so, you know, this is a major step up because, you know, I, I think a lot of people, you know, as we say, as far as the um, casual fans may not know who Lyndon Arthur is, but if you get a chance, check him out. You know, like you say, 17 and 0 with 12 knockouts. So he's not just going to lay down. He's not used to losing. But the skills that he possesses, he has a great jab. He has good timing, has some good com- combos, real economical, you know, with his energy. But what I don't like about what he does is sometimes he has a tendency to lay on the ropes. And so I think that that's where Yardy might be able to have some success. And I think that he will have some success. It's going to be an interesting matchup. It's a pretty much of a 50-50 fight. But if you, if I was forced to pick, I'd go with the guy who had a little bit or a lot more experience at the, you know, championship level, and that's Yardy. So I'll go with him. I don't know. I, I don't know how it's going to play out, if it's going to be a decision or if he's going to be able to get a stoppage, but I'll, I'll lean towards Yardy. Yeah, this is a, uh, it's going to be an interesting fight. Um, man, this is going to be a, a good popcorn fight, actually. <laughs> um, whoever's sleeping on Lyndon Arthur, I, I would just say just check him out. You know, he has a good jab, like you said, Will. He has a one-two um moves around the ring uh he moves around the ring okay he he does a, some pretty decent lateral movement but of course he does lay on the rope uh ropes a little bit too much um and he, he takes for him to have a a you know the boxing moving style he takes a little bit too uh much punishment for that and which against a fighter like Yarde is, is going to be uh interesting to watch uh, i think Yarde Royale's best chance is to get him out early. If he doesn't get Arthur out early, Arthur is gonna uh, eventually win because uh, Yarde, as we know, he, you know he, he tends to tire quickly. He doesn't tend to go many many rounds, and I think that's a uh, a de- developmental uh, detriment to him uh, because um, as we saw in the Co- even the Kovalev fight is like I mean he just you just see him just tiring out, tiring out, and he's tiring out very very fast. Um, and against a fighter like uh, Lyndon Arthur, I mean, Arthur is going to work him. He's going to move, 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 and Yarde is going to keep on chasing him until he gets tired. So if you don't get Arthur out there early, I have Arthur uh, winning by decision. But it's going to be – I expect this to be a, a, a entertaining fight, though. Um, and we're also going to have another, you know, uh, entertaining popcorn fight coming up. We have – Javier Fortuna versus Antonio uh, Lozando. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on, on this fight? Um, this one should be interesting. Um, Fortuna is 35-2-1, 24 knockouts. Lozada is 44-1, 34 knockouts. Um, the biggest thing here is the height difference. Lozada is 6 feet even, which can give anybody uh, at – at 135 problems. Fortuna's is, is five foot six and a half. 
Um, and it's worth noting that he didn't respond too well to Robert Issa's height when he fought him. Um, so that said, uh, Lozada has also lost less opposition. And in the grand scheme of things, and putting it into context, Fortuna was supposed to have fought Luke Campbell earlier this year, but uh, COVID stopped that. And then he was supposed to fight Linares in August. But then Linares caught COVID, so COVID stopped that as well. And so now we have we have this fight. Um, depending on which version of of which fighter uh, comes to fight that night, um, that kind of would determine who is going to win. Uh, but I I would say the safe bet would be uh, Fortuna in that one. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be a wipeout. To be honest with you, um, and for a few reasons. I've seen Fortuna. I went to see um, what's my man there, Errol Spence. He had that homecoming fight. I want to say it was April 16th or something like that. It may have been March of that particular year, maybe two years ago. And so he sold out It's the Cowboy practice facility. But that thing holds over 10,000. I'm talking about that thing was packed. Um, but Fortuna was that day. He was. They had him move up a couple weight divisions to fight Adrian Granados. And he found a way out of that fight. Um, I think he got either tangled up and fell out the ring or something like that. But they should have never put him two weight classes up in that fight. Now, the other losses that he had, and that was that was a, either disqualification or draw or something like that. Um, but like I said, he was just up too high of a weight division for him to compete at, especially at his height. But now I will disagree with you a little bit, Danny. That Robert Easter fight, I could have sworn he won that fight. And which tells me that he's at his height. He's one of those guys who who's tall and he knows how to get underneath a tall guy. That's what he showed me throughout that 12 round fight against Easter. It's like if you play basketball and you see, I remember when I was, was younger, um, much younger and, maybe elementary school or middle school. And it was a guy in my city. He was about seven feet tall and he was a shot blocker, but it was this little guy who was getting in the paint and he would just have moves where he would really, the guy who was a shot blocker, he would find just like little angles to get to where he couldn't block the shot. And the big guy, he was saying that he was like, he just, he keep, he know what he's doing or something like that. He said to indicate that the guy was used to just playing against taller guys. He knows, he knows how to use what they have against them. And I think that that's what he's going to do against Antonio Lozado Torres. And also Torres is coming off to, to losses. He got KO by Pedraza. Um, I don't see anybody on his resume that the level of fighter that I've seen Fortuna beat, and compete with, I don't see anybody on his resume at all like that. And so I think in this fight, especially for him coming off, you know, um, being, being old two and one in his last three fights, I got to go with Fortuna in this fight. And I think that he's going to stop him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Both of you guys made some great points. Uh, yeah. But I do have to agree with you, Will, in a sense that I do think Fortuna is going to stop him. But uh, and I also think that um, this is going to be a pretty good fight. 
because Lozado is going to, you know, brawl with him and stuff like that. Now, I'm not sure that height is going to really come into play that much because Lozado doesn't really, you know, he's the type of fighter that doesn't really use uh, his long jab or anything like that. And he, he throws a lot of, you know, looping shots. Uh, he tries to brawl. So even compared to uh, Robert Easter, I mean, I think he, you know, Robert Easter sometimes doesn't use his height, but I think uh, Lanzado, I think, is even even more so doesn't even use the six feet that he has. So I, I think that's where Fortuna is going to have a chance. Uh, this, it's going to be entertaining, but I expect uh, Fortuna, Fortuna to uh, to stop him. Hey, hey uh, Laville, do you remember a guy named um, Caesar Bazan who used to fight back in the day? Uh, the name rings a bell, but I don't necessarily. He was another guy. You just said that, um, Lozado he doesn't use his height, he's he looks the same as Bazon, but Bazon used to fight stiffer competition, but he was just a tall, lightweight, junior welterweight, about six feet, six one. But he would just want to brawl with you, you know, and that's the same type of fighting style that, um, Lozado Torres fight in. So I just wanted to ask that question. You know who used to do that, uh, but not to an extent, but he would purposely do that. Was uh, and he knew he would do that. Is Diego Cor- Diego Corrales? Because Diego Corrales had a good jab, a good one too, and he knew it because the fights that he won, he had to, the fight against uh, uh, Casamayor that he did win. He was like, "Yeah, we just used our jab and things of that nature and stuff like that." But it's interesting how sometimes he would let just totally throw away that jab and just follow opponents around the ring and, and fight hunched over, you know, and won a brawl. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he had he was like he was way, skilled, way more skilled than, than yeah, he was skilled. Yeah, but and the other thing that I wanted to say about Fortuna, you know, he's one of those guys. I think that if let's say for instance a Haney, a um, Tiafimo Lopez. You know, one of those guys down there, he'd be a good fight for them if they want to stay busy. And then, you know, he's going to be tough where you're going to learn something from a seasoned veteran like that. He's not going to lay down. And I think that they get really a lot out of fighting somebody like that if he can get past this opponent. Oh, yeah, fellas. In light of that fight that we had um, last week, uh, Maloney, that Maloney fight, you know, it's a big deal now that people are talking about instant replay. Is it good for boxing? Is it bad for boxing? What's you guys take on instant replay? I think it's good for boxing. I mean, um, it's interesting because when it was first proposed, I was like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about that in boxing because it could slow it down, you know, slow the sport down a little bit. But at the same time, you know, boxing is almost primitive compared to other sports where why don't boxing a fight where people are risking their lives and people live or die by their wins? Why they don't have instant replay when you know basketball, you know football, you know tennis, all these other sports have instant replay, and it's a, it's always something that, that 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 that's happening in fights that don't get called or, or and there's always these these things that because re, the referee alone is they're not perfect they can't see everything they don't have like 360 vision but they can see around a fighter you know uh you see fighters like bernard hopkins take advantage of this sometimes here you know when the ref's on one side he throws a low blow on the other side and the ref can't see that <laughs> you know those things are it's a replay with, with help you know we saw uh 
I mean, even look at um, Floyd Mayweather's fight with um, the, the fight where he, he, you know, he, he he broke his hand on the guy's head. And he, he he drops to it, you know, he drops his glove, and they call it a knockdown. You know, in my opinion, that wasn't a, you know that wasn't shouldn't be considered a knockdown. But the shot that he took against um, Zab Judah, that's a, a knockdown that should have been called, and and it wasn't called for Judah. Then we. Just like that, uh, Barrera. Uh, we talked about it last week with the Barrera and um, uh, who, uh, Barrera and Juan Manuel Marquez fight, where uh, Marquez that where Barrera should have scored a knockdown on Marquez and it wasn't counted. So it's a lot of stuff that happens in boxing that that, that doesn't get counted. A lot of things that not not even, even it doesn't even have to be you know a uh, a uh, uh, purposely a bad thing that's happening, but a lot of times it's not getting you know picked up. And I think it's a, uh, you know, I think instant replay would definitely, you know, help boxing in that regard. Yeah, I think ideally, you know, I would want to see instant replay implemented because you want the referees to be able to look, you know, at something questionable or, you know, like a questionable incident or when something is is, um, not obvious, like we had with the headbutt or a thumb or a knockdown. So in that situation, Ideally, I think that they should, but a lot of times, you know, instant replay takes takes up a lot of time, too. You know, you sitting there and then they showing the replay over and over. Like last week was a, you know, prime example of what I'm talking about. It's like they took a long time to try to figure that out, and they still a lot of people don't think that they got it right. So I'm kind of indifferent when it comes to instant replay. On one hand, I would want to see it if it's done right, but then, like I say, I think it's a lot of problems if if it's a situation where it's some funny business going on, I think they still not going to make the right call anyway. They're going to figure out a way to not uh, come up with the right call. Yeah, like you said, well, um, my biggest thing is it, will it be executed correctly? Um, in theory, I think it's a net positive for boxing. Um, it gets a second chance to get it right. It can be hard to judge correctly in the moment, and I get that uh, referees are human, but if you have a resource that you can use to get the right decision, why not use it? Um, that said, I think last week kind of left a bad taste of instant replay in people's mouths because it was very time-consuming, and it's and the majority of people believe, well, I'm not going to say majority, but many believe that they got the wrong decision even after all that time that was taken up. But I do think that it should be a thing that um, in theory could be honed, fine-tuned and used to better the sport of boxing. Um, speaking of what is good and what isn't for boxing, um, in in the middle of the match, uh, there are occasions where um, they have had open scoring feature where every two to three rounds they would reveal the score, the, the current real-time score on TV. So, in a way, by the time it reaches a decision, if it comes to a decision, it's not as big of a surprise for the fans. Uh, do you guys think that's good for boxing, bad for boxing? So, yeah, it's another situation where, you know, you got pros and cons to it, you know. As far as the pros of open scoring, you know, you would like the transparency of it. Everyone knows the score. You know, it's no funny business going on. It'll motivate a 
fighter to pick it up if they're down. They hear the scores. Okay, I'm down, so I got to pick it up. Um, you know, it gives confidence to the fighter who is winning. You know, they, they know that they got rounds in the bank. So, I mean, those are some positive things that would result from op open scoring. But I tend to not like it. I've seen fights when they did do open scoring. I remember Canelo was fighting Austin Trout, and they had open scoring in that fight. There was a couple other fights that I saw too. And so what tends to happen is it makes the fight boring because if I'm up in like the ninth round by maybe four points or something like that, I'm not going to engage with you. I'm just going to play a real safe and then that fight is going to really be boring. And it's no motivation for the fighter who's ahead. So I think, and it's kind of like, it takes away from the excitement and suspense of the fight as well. So I don't too much care for open scoring. I'm in the same boat as you for two reasons. One, um, since, and I used to do this before, but more so for, for bigger fights when I would have people over and have fight parties. But, um, since we've been doing this part, I and I've been kind of excited about taking notes during the fight and, and, and scoring the fight, looking at what I see and, and comparing my scores to the judges' scores at the end of it. And uh, because without knowing that, you can get a totally different fight. Um, so that's one reason why I am opposed to it. Number two reason is it kind of reminds me of there's been some gyms I played pickup basketball at. And they go off of time. Like, there will be 10, 15-minute games, and you rotate the players in and out more quickly that way, which can, be, which can be good when there's a lot of people. But it's bad in the sense that, say, say your, the opposite team is up 9-7, and there's two minutes left to go. They're probably going to start holding that ball, so they, they don't have to worry about scoring at that point. So all their objective is to keep you from scoring. So they're going to hold the ball. They're going to run the clock out. Uh, you try to foul them or whatever, they're going to pass to somebody else. And that kind of takes away from the quality of the end of the game. Um, it becomes as heated towards that point. So, like you said, to your point, Will, um, you know, if, if fighters look at that and start taking rounds off, um, then, you know, we have a problem. The, the quality of the product has dwindled at that point. So um, I'm not in favor of it. I, I do like, which is not overscoring, but I do like how – they'll kind of bring up the score, like an unofficial scorecard. Uh, but I think this is pretty much as far uh, as they should go I in that regard. I see point. I'm kind of with you both. Like, I understand it. Uh, it's pros and cons. Uh, however, I kind of lead towards open scoring, and I have, you know, particular reasons why. Um, uh, like everyone else, I like the, the the tension in the boxing, too. You know, especially at the end, you're like, what are the scorecards? And, you know, uh and that 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 uh, anticipation of is this is a close fight? Is the person going to win? Or are they are they not going to win? You know, and and fighters trying to figure it out in their own heads. But I also think you know boxing. For example, if, if open scoring would have existed in the beginning of boxing, you know, we probably would we probably wouldn't care um, because when you look at other sports, especially. Uh, gymnastics and diving. What if they never told anyone to score? You know, when you know all these things were going taking place for every dive or every uh, gymnast doing a flip on the bars. What if no one, no one was actually publicly telling you to score? You know, yeah, it's exciting to watch, but also it's like 
you you don't you don't know, and even even the the, the athletes don't know if they're they're gonna win or not. It, it I mean, I, I see I can see where it can take away where implementing open scoring scoring could take away from their game, but I, I also see where it could up their game also because it it all depends on the fight. Like I look at a fight like um, um, Meldrick Taylor versus Chavez, you know. Taylor might have thought he was down, and of course that ended up being an exciting fight because he probably did think he was down. Star, you know, fighting with you know Chavez, but also it it, it could it probably cost him probably the single best victory of his you know of his career. Um, and then we look at like uh, De La Hoya Trinidad. Um, if De La Hoya knew he was down and, and knew that fight was close, he, that those last few rounds he went and tried to to. To, you know, run around Trinidad and box probably wouldn't have happened. He might have went out, and who knows? Trinidad might would have caught him in those last three rounds. He went out on the shield, or he would have fought it out. I think that a particular that's a particular fight, in my opinion, that would have been a better fight had open scoring, you know, existed. But then you have other fights that would have been the opposite of De La Hoya Trinidad, where uh, without the open scoring, it's an exciting fight. But with it, you have a guy that's gonna. Oh, I'm up, so I'm just, I'm just gonna dance around. But fighters would do that anyway if they really believe they're up, anyway, you know. But um, that's just my opinion with that. <laughs> so you know, yes, yeah, uh, listeners, you, you're always with us. We talk, we love talking about you know fighters and how they match up, and you know um, who's better than who or who will win against what. Uh, but but we never. Very rarely did we discuss that third man. It's always a third person that's in that ring, you know. And the funny thing is, the less you see them, the more exciting the fight really is. The more you see them, sometimes the the, the fight can be, you know, a little interrupted uh, for your vision. Uh, but there's always, you know, a third person in that ring that do, that's you know doing a great job. They they protect they protect the fighters. They they uh. Like, like we talked about before, you know, they try they do their best to try to catch, you know, things that that can go on, like either uh, dirty blows, intentional and or unintentional. Um, they try to do the best they can to to, to um, and what they do affect actually ultimately affects the scoring of the fight and the, the um, outcome of the fight. But we, we we very hardly touch on this. Who you guys think? Uh, in your opinion, is the best referee, you know, the third person, the, the, the person that, that that is a facilitator and one that makes everything run. Okay, so for me, the names that come to my mind, I'll get to my top referees in a second, but some guys I didn't put in my top ten, but they're known referees. One is Joe Cortez. It's 10 o'clock. Uh, he had the phrase, I'm fair but I'm firm. But a lot of times when you watch a Joe Cortez fight, it was a total opposite. I, I remember a fight in particular, Francisco Lorenzo versus Humberto Soto, where he caused, um, he called it a, he, he died, um, Lorenzo, and it was a horrible call. Everybody was like, Emmanuel was like, what is he doing? You know, so I can't put, he, he refereed a lot of big fights, but he was often involved in like controversial fights as a referee fight where the Chavez Taylor fight March 17th 1990 and my man Richard Steele stopped the fight with two seconds left it's 
Chris was going to be able to get to Mildred Taylor, but he ended up stopping the fight, causing Mildred Taylor not to get that career divining victory. So I can't have Mr. Steele um, there. Another referee that I don't have in there is Kenny Bayless, because I think Kenny Bayless, he believed in the social distancing guidelines before COVID, where fighters couldn't even get close to each other before he'll be calling break. Now, my referees who I have that made my top, the top two referees that I that come to mind. When I see a fight and I know that the fighters are going to be able to fight and they're going to get the re- respect. It's no particular order. Arthur Mercanti, he had notable fights. If you get a chance, check him out in the ring, how cool and calm he is. Sometimes he might even just sit back on the ring post, but he has the respect of his fighters. And so he did the Ali fight. Um, that's probably his most notable fight. So he was around that time, but he was a really, really good referee. And then the other guy is the little man, the little guy, Niels Lang. Very stern, kind of like a Judge Judy um, type guy, you know, in terms of the sternness and, you know, getting to the point. And he, you know, did big fights like the Larry Holmes versus Ken Norton, Tyson versus Burbick, and his famous phrase, let's get it on, you know. So those are my top two right there. Arthur McCarthy and uh, Mills Lane. Good choice, good choice. I like Mills Lane. Um, my my favorite referee right now, I think is the best. Um, well, two names come up <laughs> for different reasons. The first is Steve Willis. You haven't seen this guy watching for the simple fact that that someone out there, and I mean, this person's going to be nameless, said that Lavelle, if you were a referee, you would make the same faces this guy made. This is what you would look like. Now, I had to look at him like, eh, I don't think he looks like an older me. But if you haven't seen this guy, Steve Willis, this guy, <laughs> sometimes he is it, it, exciting to watch, it's, it, it's entertaining, you know. <laughs> but truth be told, uh, the, the best referee, in my opinion, um, uh, you mentioned him, uh, Will, already, Kenny Bayless. Uh, yeah, he believes in social distancing. <laughs> I think it's, it's interesting. He's the first, he's probably one of the first referees I've seen that actually wears gloves all the time when he, he's refing. But one thing is I, I like the most about him is, uh, you know, in, in the game of boxing, you know, fighters are taking punches sometimes. They're they're they're, uh, they're being disoriented. You know, the crowd's like, "Ooh, ah!" when they get knocked down and booing or cheering or what what have you. But Kenny Payless always commands the attention of the fighters, especially when they go down. He when he counts, he's really in their face, like six, seven. I mean, he got his fingers up. You know how many numbers? I mean, if a, if a fighter doesn't, it's, it's not it's not coherent. Uh, when 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 Kenny Bayless is counting for him, they just. They, if they're not, they deserve to be KO. They're probably hurt for real. <laughs> uh, and plus, you know, he he has ref, you know, a lot of the, the, the biggest fights of the last, what, 10 years. Um, refed a lot of, uh, I know I'm, I'm, I remember him refing uh, Floyd Mayweather versus Shane Mosey fights. They did a, a really, really good job. Like, uh, <laughs> when the whole talking was going on and, 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 and Floyd was like, man, he needed to protect himself and hit you know, Mosey a few times. Uh, another ref probably would have been like, oh, man, oh, and would try to say, warn him, whatever. Kenny Bennett is like, hey, they, look, the fight's on. You know, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> so uh, that's my, in my opinion, Kenny Bailey, that's my guy for being the best referee, you know. Plus, it's, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, um, 
sentimental value because you know in the, in, the, in the years that I've grown and watching a lot of boxing, I've seen a lot of Kenny Bayless fights. I don't have as much of a historical context for refs as you guys do, but in terms of the current refs, uh, the few that are that stand to mind, a few that come to mind are uh, Tony Weeks. Uh, he is pretty solid. Um, I would also say Jack Reese is also pretty solid. Has kind of a, for what I could see, an old school mentality, no nonsense kind of ref. Um, but in terms of who I think is the best ref, um, I would actually agree with you, Bill. I feel like when when you have a, a, a big pay-per-view and you have uh, the, the fate of two of the elite or top boxers on the line, uh, Kenny Bayless is the guy you call. And, you know, to your point, Will, he, he, he does enforce social distancing. But, um, again, I kind of, based on the fact that you know, he gets called on for the big fights and and his pedigree in terms of what he's refed. Um, for the most part, uh, I, I would have to go with him. Now, our final topic for the evening, and we haven't experienced this quite as much this year because of COVID, and I'm, I would like to think that we'll appreciate it a lot more when we can experience this again, but, uh, you know, we all have been to live fights, and so some of, some of, of which uh, we... We've been to some of these venues and some we have not. Uh, but what do you guys, what would you guys say is the, are the best venues for boxing? A couple places that stick out is um, like the MGM. The, you know, I've been to places like Biloxi, Mississippi. I've went to fights in the Superdome, um, the Pyramid in Memphis, and, and a couple other places too. But to me, the best place that I've experienced fights is going to be at 620 Atlantic Ave and that's the Barclay Center you know you got it's just the the vibe the environment just Brooklyn itself is kind of hard I mean a little bit you know lots of people of color there and you notice how the people of color like they're well to do like it's a whole bunch like as soon as you go it's just a different environment different vibe and they don't play around. I, I, the last time I went was, I think it was the Porter versus Berto fight. And on that same card, you had Charlo versus Charles Hadley. Um, and, you know, we we talked about it before, too, Danny. We went to go see the Garcia versus Thurman fight up there. And, you know, a couple of things that you see, you see all of the boxers there. Like, I remember mm-hmm. seeing, like, right there. When I went to the, um, the Porter-Berto fight, I caught a lick on some tickets and I was like right down there. And if you get on like that first level, you have access to this one section. It's like a little um, kind of like a bar type area that you can go to, but all of the fighters are in there. You'll see Ellie setback and all of those guys doing interviews. And, you know, you just like right there in the midst of them. Like I said, I remember seeing Rosado, Rosado and, and both. The crazy thing is Rosado and um, Danny Jacobs, those are big dudes. You know, I'm a big guy. And I was like, how do they make like 160 and 168? It, it was just, it was crazy. But then I was like, I said, saw uh, Kid Chocolate Quillen, Adrian Broner, like all of the guys, they, they were like right there. And so you have that um, going on. I'm sure you see that at other fights, but it's an intimate setting that you like right there with everybody. And then also Brooklyn, they're going to be talking crazy. I'm talking about. Birdo was getting hit to the body. He was hearing these thudding mm-hmm. shots. 
boom, boom. But they telling them, you know, you're not doing nothing if you don't get no knockout in Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? They just steady just saying stuff like that. But it's just that energy that's there to me. So with the, like I said, a vibe, um, the setting, all of the fighters right there, it's, uh, it has to be um, Brooklyn, the Barclays Center for me. Okay, my take on uh, best video, it's a little different. I haven't been to too many uh, large-scale uh, boxing events. I've been to a lot of local shows, which sometimes I, I, I prefer because it's, you know, it's more compact. I can hear everything. I can sit, I can sit a lot closer without breaking the bank. You know, uh, and and it's, you can if it's a televised fight. You, I mean, it's not rare to see fighters walking around. And as you said, Will, you see a, a lot of fighters up close, and you, you realize like, you know, what they weigh in, or even when even their fight night weigh is not what they walk around at. And a lot of them are solid too. They're not like you know, fat. You know, a lot of them are just muscle. Uh, like I, I, I remember seeing. Uh, Cornelius Canine Bungerich. And I'm like, man, this guy's like solid. <laughs> like his his fists were big for it. And he was a short guy too. So it's interesting. Um but, but I don't I try to avoid large scale because always when I go to these big events, even when I go to concerts, you know, that's at like, you know, uh like the Palace of Auburn Hills in Detroit and places like that. It's always a guy, you know. I'm I'm I'm, I'm vertically challenged. There's always a guy about Wilton's height, which Wilton is about what? How tall are you, Will? Six three. Yeah, it's about guys about six three, six four, standing directly in front of me, and they standing up the whole time with a big hat on, and I can't hardly see it. And every time I move around, I feel like they're they're cutting the ring off because they're moving where I'm moving. I'm trying to look around and all that, you know. So I. I and plus, you know, then especially if you're packed in there, you got you got people that's there sweating, you know, not showering. And all that. So, uh, my my experiences with uh, events like that could be jaded. But if I had to to choose, if I had to go a place for the atmosphere, I'm choosing three places. Uh, number three is definitely, as Will said, the Barclays. Um, uh, we definitely have to hit that, you know, once we start getting back after this COVID uh, thing. I think that's that'd be uh a good place to go. Uh, the second is uh Madison Square Garden, you know. Uh it's 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 historic even even um outside of of, of the fights it's, it's just a historic place, you know. <laughs> so I always want to visit that, you know, the Madison Square Garden whenever I'm in town. Um and then the 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 last one which is number 1 for me is MGM Grand, you know. Uh, I know I'll never be able to the to, to see anything in there. Uh, if, I, if I could just get inside the door of MGM Grand on a big fight, I mean that's 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 my that's my life work right there. You know, <laughs> so. Yep, um, my list kind of overlaps with some of my list kind of overlaps with uh, you guys. What you guys mentioned already, um, I had a few different ones for a few different reasons. Um, Barclays up there for sure because you know, like you said, well the 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 star power in terms of the fighters, you know, they're there, they're out there, they're accessible because even though it's a big venue, it's not so big that you're just kind of you know kind of out there. Um, even the nosebleeds, you know, um, 
are not even that bad of seats, if I'm being honest. Um, I would say, and this is no particular order up until the end, but uh, I, I would say Wembley Stadium is actually a pretty, for what I've seen on TV, is a pretty dope venue in terms of the fan power. I remember seeing, I believe it was AJ and Klitschko. I think that was at Wembley, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, to have 80,000 fans, it was a, you know, it was a, I guess, an all European battle in terms of the, the two who were fighting. And, you know, to have 80,000 fans jumping like that was just kind of like crazy to see, even though I was just watching through the TV. Um, MGM Grand, like you said, Vel, I would say is up there definitely for the star power, uh, where you would have fighters that you could see at Barclays. You would see a whole lot of stars typically when you, when there's a fight at MGM. Um, my personal favorite, and I have a connection to this one because uh, I was there uh, for a pretty good fight, was uh, Madison Square Garden. Not only for the history, but just for, uh, like, for me, it's like, so Brooklyn had, Barclays has that Brooklyn character. Uh, Madison Square Garden kind of encompasses the, the New York vibe to me. Um, I remember when I went with my brother, we saw the Triple G and David Lemieux fight. Uh, Luis Ortiz on the undercard. He got a third-round knockout, I believe. And, um, you know, from the way that, you know, there was a pizza spot across the street that we stopped at before we got in. Um, the night before, we actually got into a Knicks and, and Celtics preseason game by buying StubHub tickets last minute. And we had pretty good seats there. Um Trump was actually at the at the Triple G fight. Uh, this was back in 2015, and he got booed like crazy. Um, and it was just cool to see a whole bunch of different cultures. You know, again, it was a Triple G fight. Kazakhstan was out there. You saw a whole lot of different cultural flags. Um, so it was just cool to see. There's not something that I have seen at smaller venues, and it's something that I definitely want to – definitely got to hit Barclays, fellas. But, yeah, it's gonna be but the Garden just kind of has a special uh, place in my heart. COVID. You know, when we'll be able to get back to some type of normalcy so we can go to events. But you keeping that keeping thinking about that, I don't know if we'll ever get back to that point where you have like eighty thousand at Wembley. You know what I'm saying? Like it's gonna be some ramifications of this virus, you know, kinda like how we had before. Remember when you had um things like nine eleven, like we've never gone back to getting on a plane and it was just you know without having to get checked and everything so it's going to be some ramifications of this disease but i'm just hoping that sooner than later we're able to go and check out some of those fights i don't know to what capacity but at least we'll be able to get it fighters anything else that you guys want to touch on before we wrap up no sir yeah man i'm gonna get back here and, and finish watching no, Kyler murray uh against the seahawks and then also, check out Jeezy and um, Gucci with their verses. Y'all going to check that out? Yeah, I heard they going in. <laughs> I think it's time to get, get off then. I'll put my girl right now, fellas. All right, peace. All right, peace.